poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Well, hello there, boys and girls. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is high stakes mixed game crusher and tournament crush E, Sean Snyder. There's really no way to measure this, but I would bet good money Sean holds the title of being the best overall poker player who has the worst lifetime results in MTTs. I mean, somebody's got to hold that mantle, right? The good news is that Sean is exceptionally well-equipped to bear that burden. When I think of the grittiness and superhuman mental toughness needed to sustain the massively high levels of success that Sean has had in poker over many, many years, it's very easy for me to feel jealous. The man is a pro's pro and the kind of poker player we should all aspire to be. And you're about to find out that he's pretty awesome at telling amazing stories as well. In today's show with Sean Snyder, you're going to learn an unexpected way inactivity can be really, really bad for live poker players, the downsides of the autonomy and freedom poker offers, some no-brainer tips for getting invites to private games, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you a pro's pro, the always hilarious and witty elite mixed game outcast, Sean Snyder. Mr. Snyder. Mr. Wilson, it's great to be back. It's great having you. This is the part where we pretend that we haven't been talking for 15 minutes. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, we're just now catching up like like old pals right here Mm -hmm. in the beginning. What have you been up to, man? Um, Not much. Just a ton of poker uh, hiding at home from COVID. I I was hoping to have enough time to kind of go back and figure out exactly what we talked about last time or like what what the state of the world was just because... So much in the past 15 months, but uh, I was gambling and drinking all night and I just woke up about 15 minutes before our pre-interview. So that sounds like a much more fun way to spend your night. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty fun. Yeah, it was a, a rare fun day of poker. You said you were hiding from COVID. Are you, you vaccinated now? Are you back in the live streets? I am. I am. Yeah, I got my second. Is today a Thursday? I think actually two weeks exactly today was my uh, my second shot. I, I'm young and healthy enough, so not not terribly worried about it. But I play poker with a lot of old guys, and it's it's nice peace of mind. I don't have to worry about much anymore. Yeah, probably don't want to go killing off all the old guys that play the mix. Yeah, games. I just I, I need to have a poker game still. But <laughs> I think they've actually been vaccinated for a while. Most of them, at least, anyways. That's good to hear. And are you Did you you get your your shots yet? Oh yeah, I'm I'm vaccinated. Um, I was telling my wife just the other day that like, who would have thought that like getting vaccinated would be like a talking point amongst everyone? Like, hey, did you get vaccinated? I was, I was today? actually I was waiting for today to make like a tweet joke that I'm like, oh, I forgot to announce that I'm better than everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's exciting. I, I, it's surprising though. to me when I hear that some of my friends don't want to get vaccinated, but I, I guess at the end of the day, it's a is a personal decision, and they got to do what they got to do. Sure, I. Th- think 
it, it is surprising to me as well. Uh, I can't always understand it, but I guess I can accept that, you know, it's their body and they can do whatever they wish with, with it. Um, I do hope that we do reach herd immunity uh, sometime in the near yeah. future and we don't fall short, but intuitively I think we're going to fall short and it's just going to be a debacle moving forward. I, I hope you're wrong, but I don't think you will be, unfortunately. Hey, man, that's what we do, right? We work with numbers. Yeah. We look yeah. at things, and like, if the math doesn't check, the math doesn't check, and there's nothing you can do to change it. Yep. Uh, how, how is it in your area? Is still masks and everything is uh, going heavy? Or? Yeah, so I live in like metro Atlanta, and mm. metro Atlanta has been masked up the whole time. Uh, like it, it would be very weird to go into a store and see somebody without a mask on mm-hmm. where I'm at. So yeah, I mean, we're still, we're, everybody's still doing the same stuff. I think masks are pretty much required indoors everywhere. I've been like, since I'm vaccinated now, uh, if I don't have to wear it in places then I just don't, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's actually, it's, that's another weird part about it too. Like wearing the mask is like a tough habit to crack. It's like, I feel I, weird going in places now, without I just, a mask. If I forget one, I turn around, go back to my car, grab one, and get ready. Yeah, I mean, it's at first I was forgetting them constantly, and now it feels weird not to have it on me at least. Yeah, we're trained. We've gotten used to it. Yep, um, definitely. So what have you been doing for poker this last year? You haven't been playing yeah, live. Got to um, do something. I think today might actually be. It's one day short of the, the one-year anniversary return of live poker for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I don't remember if I started playing a private game first or if uh, Hamul reopened first, but Hamul Casino, uh, they reopened and they're the, the only place in the region that was open. <clears throat> and a bunch of guys from Commerce came down and they were playing 2040 stud of all things, which one of my least, well, I wouldn't say least favorite, but definitely one of my worst games. So it should be one of my least favorites. <laughs> I, don't know, I just kind of saw it as an opportunity to, to talk to some guys that I wouldn't play with otherwise and maybe set up some more games. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't going to open for a while. So I kind of just did it as a networking thing. So I did that for a week or two. And then I think after that, uh, someone invited me to a five ten PLO home game and that, that was much more up my alley. So for the most part, that's what I've been doing is just uh, private games, basically between five, five and 25, 50 PLO, no limit, and occasionally big O or mixed game or something like that. Nice. So the private game scene has been thriving during COVID. Yes, yes, definitely. For the the first, I guess, month or so, two months of COVID, um, there was obviously a ton of online clubs, but there's a couple that popped up for the the more San Diego-oriented people. So I obviously I had the world to play with, but I kind of just chose to keep playing with the guys that I'm used to playing with, the the same guys I'm playing with now still. But when people have a ton of choices, kind of petered out after a while, the games weren't as they either weren't as fun or weren't as consistent and I got kind of bored of it and I was just playing video games and doing my thing until the live poker returned. Well, now live poker is about to return. So it is. Yes. I, it looks like we have our mask mandate going away on the 15th here and we'll see if the masks and partitions go down at the casinos when that happens. Um, like you said, the, the masks kind of are second nature to me, but the partitions drive me insane. It's just, I'm not, I'm not a claustrophobic person. They kind of like trigger a little in <laughs> me and it's just, it's uncomfortable. I don't really think anyone enjoys the partitions. I haven't dealt with them yet, but I don't know that I've heard anybody just super pumped up about them being a part of the live poker scene. Yeah. It's just, uh, they're not for me. That's for sure. 
Yeah. I, I um, hope the masks go, but I could deal with them. I mean, it is what it is. We've been trained. We've been trained well yeah. over the past year. So I don't, is like, to me, it's not a big deal either way. Yeah. So I want to ask you, what would you consider to be your poker superpower? Uh, my poker superpower is to have a seat in the game. <laughs> if that counts. That, that uh, certainly yeah. does count for all the people who can't get seats in games. Yeah. I mean, in, in this day and age, uh, whether it's at a casino or an actual private game, most of the bigger or better games are private-ish, and uh, I've been pretty fortunate to, to not be told no for seats for the most part and to not be kicked out of good games for the most part. How do you go about executing your superpower? What's the secret sauce to getting in these games? <laughs> um, I mean, part of me says that I wish I knew so that I could help other people, but if I helped other people... <laughs> That might be losing my superpower. So, I mean, just be nice to people and don't be a robot and give a little bit of action. Uh, I don't really, I don't think I do too much special. In a lot of cases, I think it's literally just if you've been a likable person for long enough and you're like, oh, I wish I could get into this game, people don't even ask. I mean, people say yes to, to me at least. And I don't think there's anything special about me compared to a lot of other people out there. I mean, you do need a player pool to get the games going. And it is right. nice to have people that are like, going to be fun, going to be personable, uh, are okay with losing a big number. You can trust them and we'll put in hours, you know, just sit down yeah. and play for 14 hours. Straight. Absolutely. I mean, that's something that people underrate. Like any game is going to need someone that has to show up every session that like feels incentivized to show up every session. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a very weak player in one game might be a winning player in another game, but at the end of the day, they're, they're going to be a winning player probably. So you just having a couple of them as props or of some sort is, is very, very nice. Yeah. I think it like to anybody that's ran home games or private games, just intuitively, you know, that like there's a, you know, there's a lot of churn, um, especially if there's like a large amount of fish or whales in the game, they go broke and they just go home. Like they, there's, mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't just stick around all night. You know, there's very exactly. few people that just play from beginning to the end. Mm -hmm. That's um, very, very true. Cool. So yeah, just be a, be a cool person. I think actually, so I've been thinking about this a lot as like, cause I've asked this question and I think my superpower is connection. And I don't know if you frame it in the same way, but I think it's very likely that yours is too. Uh, when we talk about like being fun to play with, being cool, really it's about connecting with people, you know, just being authentic, genuine human that other people mm -hmm. like being around and like connecting with. And if you do that, yeah. if you do that, like everything else just kind of sorts itself out. Uh, without a doubt, 100% agree with you. It's crazy to me that there's so many people whose professional poker life is completely detached from their like real and personal life. For me, like if I'm going to dinner, I'm, I'm almost surely going with someone that I know from poker. It's maybe it'll be winning players. Maybe it'll be losing players. Maybe it'll be break evenish players. Maybe it'll be a mix of the group. And uh, I mean, I don't think any less or any more of my recreational poker friends. I mean, if anything, I respect them more for actually enjoying the game just for the sake of enjoying the game rather than for making money. So I don't know. I definitely connecting with people is part of it, but that kind of just comes naturally. So maybe I, I take it for granted. Yeah. I mean, it's like, like you said, uh, when I was in the home game scene and traveling around, like all of my friends were live poker friends, whether they were yeah. like all crushers or not. Um, I have a, a 
specific friend that is like a movie producer and is a losing poker player, but like he's a really yeah. cool, nice guy. And, you know, anybody that can like play high stakes and afford to lose and still go back to their job, I think is kind of already has a leg up on the poker players in the group because all the poker Absolutely. players want to do is make enough money so that they can play poker recreationally. And like those people, they've they done really it. want to get to where they are. Absolutely. Exactly. And, and, you know, so there's always a lot to learn from just the human beings that you interact with in the poker world, because a lot of times they're either a high level poker player or B high level life player. And mm -hmm. you can learn a lot from them. Absolutely. I mean, that's another thing. You're not going to get very many uh, diverse business opportunities from talking with poker players. You're going to get someone that tells you to buy some fantasy coins. You're going to get <laughs> wants you to invest in or gamble with them on DFS or just traditional sports betting or just the traditional market. Like the, your, your options are relatively limited. You, you might get some very, very sharp action, but it's not going to be all that different from just playing poker itself. Whereas your actual business owning friends in poker are going to have uh, a plethora of, of opportunities. Some of them terrible, but <laughs> so it's, it's definitely a nice diversification. Yeah, for sure. And like, if you're doing what I'm doing, like starting a business in the poker space and you mm -hmm. connect with like high level marketers, high level business people, like they can help you out. Like they know a lot. This is their world, Absolutely, right? Yeah. So like scaling, I, I think is just a huge benefit of knowing the right people. And, and then like, yeah, you, you're both happy, you know, Absolutely. they help your business grow and you make them some money and like every, everybody wins. Mm -hmm, definitely. As silly as it sounds like it even helps just to know some like normal people that can find you a nice mechanic or a plumber or a remodel guy or a pool guy. Like my, my small business owning poker friends know a lot more about that kind of thing than my poker friends. My poker friends just go on Yelp, pick the first review. And obviously that, that you're probably going to get someone decent, but you might not get the friend price. You might not get the cash under the table price. And, you know, if, if you can see the work that they've done beforehand, instead of just going off the Yelp review, you might get a little better result. Yeah, for sure. Don't want to deal with the downside of getting bad mechanics and stuff. That's a... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get, you get it done wrong, and then all of a sudden you end up paying twice as much to get it fixed or at least done correctly. Here's a non-poker pro tip for the listener. Uh, I did not know this, but apparently mechanics work on commission for the most part. And so they're incentivized to like upsell you and sell you as much as humanly possible. And I never knew that until we went to go get the, our, our Jeep's tires changed and got like a $2,800 bill from the Yeah, mechanic. I was going to say, yeah, you needed to change the brakes. So you definitely needed an air filter. I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> The what shocks, are, shocks are done. Yeah. The guy was like, yeah. I don't even know how this car is like even on the road. It's just falls. It's, it's liable uh, to just fall apart. I would at any say time. if you take it somewhere other than the actual dealership, I would say over 50% of the time they're going to be like, wow, I can't believe it's still on the road when there's absolute, well, my assumption is that they're swindling me, but uh, maybe, maybe they are. Who knows? Oh, but, they are. Yeah. For the most no, there's, part. There's definitely are. a distinct hustle to it. I, I don't know if I was like acutely aware that the, it was commission-based, but just based on the way they upsell you on tons of things that they don't really need, yeah, it seems not... Makes not sense. I think that's for sure, yeah. So our story ended with my wife calling them back and canceling it mm -hmm. so that we could get a uh, another opinion on the prices of all the stuff and the guy doing it anyway. 
like me showing up at the at the the place and he's like oh i've already i've already got, you don't want new you don't want brakes on your car i've already taken them off and put them on which is like the shadiest I, oh really? man, i was so mad wow oh man oh, i was so mad and we went to another place a little while later and i was like telling the story and the guy like before i even hit the punchline the guy's like yeah he just did it anyway right i'm like like they know it's like a no thing that way. they yeah they, they, they know, know the scam that's crazy Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's apparently a big scam. Um, yeah, I, I definitely don't trust them, and that's actually one thing that I was fortunate to have before poker is a, a mechanic that I trust. I know yes. that's far between, so I'm fortunate with that too. Yeah, the dumb part about it too is like you know in poker, in poker, like if you have a poker coach, right? Like it, I guess in business, it's just it's so much easier to maintain a cl- an existing client than it is to like mm-hmm. get a new client. It's way oh, more expensive. Yeah. And like all these places, they just like do a shitty job and try to take as much from you at once as they can and like kill all return business in the future. It's like such a I mean, dumb ass funny. way. I never would have thought about it. You said that just now, but the way you describe it actually just it kind of reminds me of like nitty pros and yeah. And- Thanks games that like they'll bust you today, even though it guarantees there's not going to be a game tomorrow to bust you in. Yep. They just don't care. They're just, how much can I take right now? Yeah. Yep. Not think about the future at all. What do you think of Nemesis in your poker career? Who's the first person that comes to mind? First Nemesis? Um, what, what do you mean by Nemesis? So like, it's challenging to play against or like, I think that there are just some people that you play against that just always seem to beat your brains in. No matter what you do, like you get it in good, you lose. Yeah. You get it in bad, you lose. You just can't beat them. So I've only had one in my entire life. On my on my like rise up to high stakes, nobody really. There's people I really enjoyed battling with, but nobody. But there was a, an older gentleman at Ocean's Eleven. Um, it was when I was playing like 200 to 600 no limit online. I would occasionally go to Oceans and play like 1530 to 5100, uh, a mixed game that one of my friends used to set up. There's this uh, older gentleman, RK, pretty not far from a nit. He gave a decent amount of action, but he's a, a good, decent thinking player. And I mean, my God, it was like he was a super user in an online poker game. He knew only against me. He knew what cards were going to come. He knew what it <laughs> was going to be like. He knew what I had. Like his, It was uncanny. He held over me like no other. He had me. I remember one session I, I quit the game just like talking to myself like a crazy person. But to set up the game, he's like, RK just asked like if you're on your bipolar meds or something. Like, <laughs> like I was like, I truly like was displaying all the mental illness like symptoms when I played with him. It was bad. I there's a hand in stud where like stud eight or he had an open pair of sevens and I had five, four, three deuce, and I made a six high straight, and he had like seven, seven, six open on on fifth street. And somehow he ended up making a seven high straight with a better six low. And like, <laughs> like the guy had open sevens. How does this, a six high straight lose to like a guy with open sevens? And like we, we put in so many bets before. Like I, I think I four bet the river and he five bet. And I'm like, how the fuck did you beat me? <laughs> this stared at it for a while. And I don't know if I even said anything after I saw the hand. Because like once he five bet, I, I knew anyways. But it was just yeah, the, the things he did to me were unholy. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the funny thing about poker is like, and it's another thing that I think a lot about is like, in some ways, we're kind of just like robots who are making decisions. Both of us make a decision. One of us looks like a genius. The other looks like an idiot. 
and we both would make the same exact decision with yeah, each yeah. other's hands. So like really the result of it is just insignificant because it's just a wash, but like sometimes you run into just a, you know, a telephone pole of a person. Yeah, just, just being faced with it over and over is just, it's maddening because I mean, as a like rational person, you're like, this can't happen, but it <laughs> actually pretty easily. And it did happen in fact. And I guarantee that you are somebody's nemesis out there. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I play with guys in the home game that I've played with like for 15 years since we used to play limit hold them together. And they're like, Sean, I just don't know how the hell you do it, but I can never beat you. And I don't even notice. Just like I'm sure that RK didn't notice the horrible things he was doing to me. To him, is just kind of a wash between what was happening with other players. But no, definitely. Yeah. I, I was playing a home game one time and it was a good game. I won very often. And there was one player, an older gentleman, older gentleman named Ronnie, and I beat him to a pulp. And it was not really because I just was outplaying him at every node. It was like, I just ran really good against him. And one time we got it in for like 200 bigs and I flopped like top set on like six, seven, 10 or something in like a three bet pot. It was like very unlikely that he had a straight. But somehow he had he flopped a straight, and like we get it on the turn, and you know it's a six hundred big blind pot, and the board pairs on the river, of course, <laughs> and he shows his straight, I show my hand, um, and he walks behind me, and like I feel him touch me. And like I jumped, right? Like I'm automatically like, fuck, this dude's like just punching me, <laughs> punching me in the back of the head. Um, and he just kind of like grabbed me by the shoulders. And he was like, you know what, boys? The cream always rises to the top. And then <laughs> he just like walked out the door. <laughs> yeah, at, least, at least he had a good reaction to it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was like he was so beaten down. He just accepted it. Like, <laughs> yeah, of course, Brad beats me. I get it. Yeah, I, I never accepted it against RK. It drove, it drove me insane until we moved to Vegas. Oh, I, I could never accept it either. It's like, no, yeah. I'm going to beat you. It's going to change. Like, yeah. I don't, maybe not this time or the next 20 times, but on the 21st it just, time. It just can't always be like this. It can't always be like this. I mean, while you're probably running amazing against plenty of other people, but you just got that one person who's, yeah. It's Over the years, there's probably been a few here and there, but he's the only one that really sticks out. Yeah, they do stick out though because you know, like I can't. This guy, there's something about this guy. He just yeah. has me figured out. No, he was, he was I like can't magic. beat him. <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter. We played mixed games. He could beat me. He could beat me silly in 20 different games. <laughs> after what we played. Uh, that's great. Who's your biggest influence coming up in becoming a professional poker player? Um, I mean, when I first started playing, I thought Sammy Farhar was the coolest. I just wanted to play every hand because I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, I lost. I lost all my money that way. Pretty <laughs> three six and four eight. So uh, Sammy just, might actually be your nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but in reality, I don't know. I always thought that Phil Ivy was really really cool. Um, just because I don't you know the the World Series broadcast like the high stakes poker and whatnot. They kind of toted him as the the best all around, and uh, I always really enjoyed other games and especially stud games. So. I kind of thought that it was cool that he had like a very grindery background where he was he was no home Jerome and he was sitting there grinding whatever stakes stud at the Taj, which obviously hasn't been around for a, a pretty long time. So 
I think he'd be the number one overall, probably. You ever battle with Ivy? We played online a handful of times. Um, live cash? I'm pretty sure no. Live tournaments? Yes. I couldn't tell you which ones, just various 1500s to 10Ks over the years. We've played together a couple of times on day ones, but. I forget that you play MTTs because you have like no results. It's, oh God, I, I, it's, I, I was joking about this with uh, Melissa Burr came to visit and she's like, well, don't worry. He has plenty of buy-ins. Yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, <laughs> not looking at my cards, I should probably have much better tournament results just playing blind. It's, it's ugly. I think I've cashed three times in World Series tournaments. I, in 1500s, I play really, really bad, I think, I, I would assume, because I'm always really, really drunk. I, they probably should <laughs> the rio to be honest in 2019 almost every single tournament i played my behavior is just obnoxious um 10k is actually i try really well because i'm selling at least like 25 to 50 percent of the action most of them and haven't cashed in a single one in my life you i haven't, haven't cashed a single 10k in i have not life? cashed in a single 10k in my life yeah, oh my god a few places away in the limit hold'em which is like it's such a small field that it's easy-ish to cash i guess but yep. yeah we got these guys making bracelet bets that they'll win a bracelet a WSOP series and like you're on the side there. Everybody's betting whether or not this will be the first year you cash. <laughs> yeah. Like this will be the year that I cash two times. Let's ten to one or something. Yeah. I'm accepting ten to like one my, that I my, will cash. <laughs> my my acquaintances and friends are just like final table, final table, final table. And I'm like, oh, I made it to day two. <laughs> I made it to day two with four bets. <laughs> How about them apples? <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff. Luckily, I, you're still pretty young, so you, you got many years of futility left in you uh, at the WSOP. I really don't care about tournaments at all, but at the same time, it would be kind of cool just to win like one bracelet, just because that was kind of like the the poker dream as a a younger Sean. So w one would be nice. I would probably stop caring after that. Doesn't really matter to me whether it's a a fifteen hundred or a ten k or a no, <laughs> but. but I'll take any, any anything they want to throw me. I'll take. Yeah, like when I'm making the the title of the podcast, I look at Hinted Mob to see if like, you know, oh, this person's had like 7 million in caches or whatever. And your Hinted Mob was like, you, you'd won like $12 or something over Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I placed really well in a free roll tournament on Stars back <laughs> in 2005. <laughs> I won the free roll into the real money tournament, like the $12 guaranteed. And, you know, one thing led to another. And there I was in the final 200. Yeah. And, How'd that feel? And 11,000 in earnings, something pitiful. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I, I laugh at your misery. Uh, yeah. I, I, if you weren't such a easygoing, good humored person, I would not laugh at your misery, but it is kind it's of funny. funny. Like other people consider tournaments to be like a very serious, like financial endeavor for me. I, I think of them as purely entertainment value because I just have no expectation that I'll do <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. Like at least Alan Kessler like goes into it knowing that he's going to like cash, like, 27.3% of the time or something. Not me. Like that 10,000 is fucking gone. <laughs> well, if you ever need to like, you know, give yourself a nice kick in the nuts, just sign up for a 10K and there you go. <laughs> Tell me a story of your favorite poker session ever. Favorite poker session ever. God, there's been so many. There's so many fun days playing Limit Hold'em at the Commerce. Just remembering David Baker, he would, he would, Maybe be buried, maybe he would be winning, but I mean his his stack would undergo amazing fluctuations because the limit hold'em guys, we would always play with just just small chips. So I mean you could build powers. You could be stuck and still have an enormous stack. But probably my, my favorite session is one that I played uh I would guess it was probably like six hundred, twelve hundred 
It was uh, a shorthanded game with me, John Hennigan, this guy named Chen, maybe one or two other players. And uh, I mean, if you play with John Hennigan when he's losing a little bit or maybe winning, but playing a few hands kind of poorly and he's very self-deprecating, there is no funnier human being to play poker with than John Hennigan when he's a little feisty. (laughs) Old Johnny world. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love to have that dude on the podcast. He's, he's, he, I mean, he has pretty good stories. Not, not quite Billy Baxter level stories, but he's, he's very good table talk. Yes, I would love to have Billy Baxter on the podcast as well. So a lot of these guys are like impossible to get any sort of contact information from for like very obvious reasons because they don't mm-hmm. want people to be able to send them of an course, email. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, and I feel like, I always feel a little awkward just like tagging somebody on Twitter and be like, hey man, you want to come on the podcast yeah. like publicly? Um, DJF kind of has a connection to uh, Billy Baxter, I believe, if you ever wanted to exercise it. John Hennigan, I mean probably someone that that you've had on here a cash game player or maybe even tournament player would be able to get you in touch with them yeah most likely i haven't really pressed it these are just like things that yeah i would like to have on on the list yeah Yeah, i got you i got you yeah um looking for something more interesting for my favorite session but it would be like we'd be going into like omaha high low hands and i don't (laughs) say here omaha high low hands to be honest (laughs) well let's ask a different question then um so just imagine there's a greatest hits collection of your best stories that you've accumulated in your poker career. Tell me a story that is on Sean Snyder's greatest hits. Sure. Sure. It's uh, it's unfortunately it's an Omaha hello ham, but it's okay. Uh, long story short, a guy flops aces full. I flop trips. I either turn or river quads. I want out him and every single hand that he's been winning. He's, he's a recreational player. Like he's acting like he's drunk, but he's definitely not drunk. He's just kind of high on life. It's, it might be Halloween, it might not be, but he's yelling trick-or-treat and like clapping basically every single time that he, he wins a large hand. And even this hand that I won out at him, he could not have been happier to see the one-outer. He got so excited. He just stood up, yelled trick-or-treat. And started, <laughs> he was, he, I've never seen someone so happy to get one out at playing 400, 800. But he, <laughs> great joy. And it's, it's nice to see someone that can appreciate the, the beat as well as give them out. So I like that one a lot. That is really funny. Um, you, you actually mentioned something a little bit ago that kind of brought me back how you can build like the giant chip towers at commerce. Like when mm-hmm. I was 21, I played the limit, you know, the 4080 limit game mm-hmm. and man, there are some big ass pots that you get in like $10 chip, 4080. Limit. Oh, massive. Yeah. I mean, you get those multi-way pots and like, aside from their initial mistake of playing the hand, no one's even doing anything wrong. Like you just get to the end, you hold on and you turn everyone's cards face up and you see who wins. <laughs> Not exactly the, the most finesse game, but it could be very, very fun. As It's probably always going to be my, my favorite poker game, dead as it may be. And so many times, you know, you get your next hand. You can't even stack your chips because like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cards you, are going you could, under you could the chips. You like three times and you're still not finished stacking your chips from the one hand. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't really miss limit poker, but I do miss stacking up those giant, giant massive pots. Even in mixed games, unfortunately, people just love their big chips. They love to color up and those, those chips can disappear off the table really quick and you, just, you might be winning a ton, but you'll just have a little nub of big chips and... <laughs> I think it's like a little bit of PTSD for me, to be honest. Like I see that stack and I'm just ready to go broke. <laughs> You're I like, need oh. a lot of chips. Like, yeah, they're, they're my life force. Like if someone, I'll, I don't mind buying the chips from someone, but I will immediately go to a chip runner and, and get myself some more small chips so that I feel like I have something to play with. Yeah. You get like that little 
this uh, chip stack this big, you're like, exactly, okay, yeah, exactly. this is the 10k like, short stack. Yeah, you're, I'm going you're winning twenty thousand, but it's like three five three five k chips, like a couple one k's, and then you got like one stack of white, and then you're broke again. You're not. You're winning. <laughs> you feel broke. Yeah, you do. You need those. So I chips. guess you don't. Normal people don't. I I do because I'm crazy. I know what you're saying though. I, I want I want a bunch of small chips, like a couple big chips, but a, a lot of small chips too. It's more fun. Yeah. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot.
One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. I have questions about pots won and lost, if sure. any of those come to mind. Like any, when we talk about pots won, any significant pots come to mind? Um, I mean, the biggest pot I ever won, of course, is, is going to be significant in my head. It was, uh, it was no limit deuce to seven. I, this is why I'm not the best podcast guest because none of the interesting hands are going to be games that anyone plays. But uh, yeah, it was uh, just a $120,000 pot against um, like a bazillion time bracelet winner. He was kind of, I mean, I was a beginner in the game too, but he was really a beginner in the game. He had, uh, he had just started splashing like very heavily in the stars, 400, 800, uh, eight game, 10 game, whatever it happened to be. But we were playing 200, 400, no limit, deuce seven at Commerce a lot. And I had been getting relatively good at it and he was not good at it yet. He got it in as bad as anyone's ever gotten it in against me, to be honest. Um, he was drawing two, which is not something you do after you five bet all in for <laughs> lines in a game with only two rounds of betting. Uh-huh. So I, I had a hand that against him, I was ecstatic to get in. But against any other person, you would like be shitting your pants, terrified and you might actually, I would never, but a good player might have been able to fold the hand against someone else. But uh, yeah, I, I only ran it once at the time and he did not hit his two card draw and the $120,000 were mine. As far as Holm goes. I think when you start talking about a 120K pot, it, it doesn't matter the game you're playing. Yeah, the I think game. The, the interest kind of is peaked. It's, it's really rare that like my blood gets pumping. Like even though I was certain I had the best hand, like I was just, terrified that like i mean that's that's a lot of money and um i think we were playing uh it was again like a very shorthand game it was 600 1200 limit plus the 200 400 no limit i was stuck about sixty thousand at the time which it wasn't the most i'd ever been stuck but i was stuck sixty thousand. had another sixty thousand in front of me and suddenly it was all in so i mean i was i was one cooler away or one bad beat away from being stuck one hundred twenty thousand. and yeah you were out of that size and it just it gets you exactly even basically <laughs> I mean, it's got to be a good feeling getting even. Oh, no, it felt great. Yeah. The, the I didn't even win it for the day. I ended up losing maybe five, fifteen, twenty thousand, something like that. But it was it was cool to win a very, very large pot. Um, as far as pots lost, I mean, I, I've played a ton. Uh, the same game, No Limit Deuce of Seven, tons of pots in the 80,000 range, won and lost. None really stick out as particularly terrible. Hold them. Lots of pots, 15, 20, maybe 30,000. No memorable ones, really. I just, I have a terrible memory when it comes to like large pots. Uh, kind of once the point, once they get to the point where they're very large, I feel like no one really had that interesting of a decision for the most part, at least. So I'm more about the the old, either funny hands or finessey hands where I think I, I played them well. Yeah. I, I think like, I mean, like you said, once pots get to a certain size, especially exactly, if you're like exactly. 500 big blinds deep, it's like, okay, well, they got the set and I got the royal draw. Yeah, Let's see the, if the hands kind of out. play themselves for the most part. Even if, even if a person has like a meltdown, you can usually rationalize the meltdown as maybe you would have made the same mistake. And yeah, I agree. What's a what's a poker lesson you've learned from a dark teacher? So like a bad experience that taught you a valuable lesson. Uh, yeah, a lot of people like to take breaks when things aren't going well. But uh, especially if you're a live player, maybe if you're an online player as well, but especially if you're a live player, I kind of feel like once you detach yourself from poker, it can be kind of hard to come back. And uh, you, you can put yourself in a bad spot pretty quickly just by being out of action. 
it's obviously it's it's important to have backup money to live with. But uh, in, in this day and age, people kind of forget about you. Like they 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 don't care where you are really, but they they just flat out forget you existed in live poker. And um, when seats are kind of limited, and you kind of have to get in someone's good graces to regularly have a seat in a good game, you can put yourself in a bad spot very quickly just by inactivity and not playing. Because I mean, you're you're very easily replaceable as a pro. They can find someone else that's nice that will give action and that will loan money or whatever's required in that specific game for you to have a seat. Yeah. So, uh, inactivity, indecision is is definitely your enemy in poker. You got to realize your utility as the pro. Like your yeah. utility is to be an ass in the seat from beginning to end and yes, be nice yes. and personable. And if you don't show up. Well, we'll find somebody that will. Show yeah, up. you're you're very very easy to forget and very easy to replace. Yeah, that makes sense. What's a weakness that you think you have in your poker game, and what steps have you taken to overcome said weakness? Yeah, definitely, my weakness kind of ties into what I just said, and that's when uh, whether it be poker that's not going well or life that's not going well, I'm very quick to take a break, which is it's good for guaranteeing that I don't really play when I'm not at my best. But it just, it puts me in situations where I kind of have to like rewrite the book on where and how I'm going to play. Because I mean, sometimes games just die. Like it's, I'm not necessarily the one keeping them together, but you know, one thing leads to another and all of a sudden your, your player pool kind of dwindles a little bit. And then when you take two months off from a poker game, other people might decide to take two months off from a poker game and boom, there it goes. Yeah, my, my weakness is my, either either my laziness or just, my willingness to take a break probably when it's not merited, which I've actually just come back from kind of a, a two month break. And the game that I played most regularly, actually it was, it wasn't doing good. So I'm, I'm not single-handedly responsible for it being alive and well, well again, but I definitely played a part. And if I had taken another month or two off, who knows what would have happened. It might've been, might've been disastrous for everyone. And when you say two months, that's quite yeah. a long video game break. What's the... I, was, I was doing a ton of other stuff. Yeah, no, I, I took a vacation to Maryland, visited a friend, did some fishing. I was I mostly actually fishing myself. Just I found a new place about uh, 30-ish miles for me. It's like a 45-minute drive and a 30-minute hike. So it was kind of satisfying just to kind of get outside for a couple hours every day and, and do a little bit of exercise since that's not really on the menu very often when I'm playing a ton of poker. That actually sounds very reasonable. Um, yeah. I, just, I just imagine you like in your house and like a gaming chair, stuffing Cheetos in your face for it, two for, months straight. For the, for the most part, nine times out of ten when I'm taking a poker break, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Can't lie. But yeah, this one was actually somewhat unique where I was, uh, I was being a normal human being going outdoors and enjoying myself instead of uh, trapping myself at home. Yeah. Those, I mean, we need that. We need rejuvenation. We need to recharge. We need to get away from yeah. like just. Oh, yeah, just, absolutely. There, there's definitely a time and place for it. Just. At least for me, I can let it go a little too far sometimes. I think my biggest leak has always been my uh, laziness as well. Like, I think it's like, ah, oh, well, whatever. I don't feel like playing today, so I'm not going to play. Um, which mm -hmm. is what makes the question that like people who don't understand poker uh, ask me all the more ludicrous. It's like, oh, are you addicted to gambling? <laughs> like, dude, you don't. You have no idea. Like. I get paid to show up and it's hard for me to show up. Like, I, yeah. you know, if I take a week off, like that wouldn't be something like abnormal for me. 
it, it kind of it's led to like problems in in my relationships, especially where they'll see me like taking time off for whatever reasons. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, can't you take time? I'm like, well, I mean, technically, yes, but there's no guarantee that I'm actually going to have a job to go back to like when I return, if I'm taking this extended time. So I mean, it's a case of like, should I? No, absolutely not. Can I? Yes, but buyer beware. You never know what's going to happen. And I feel like it's kind of built up resentment in some of my relationships where they think my free time is unlimited. And uh, I mean, it's far from unlimited, but it's also not completely limited. And it's, I don't know, it's just for, for people that don't play poker professionally. And I mean, everyone looks at things differently anyways. It can just kind of create some friction. Which yeah, is it, it is unfortunate. And, and like, I think there's a lot of like misnomers about just the poker journey and being a professional poker player. One thing that I've noticed in my private coaching, uh, you know, my students, my customers, I've noticed that like people are drawn to poker for very similar reasons. Uh, my reason, I wanted autonomy and freedom to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't want somebody telling me what to do. Like that's really, plus I enjoy playing games and I think mm -hmm. I'm naturally good at games, but really it was the freedom. I don't want to deal with somebody else's bullshit, but what people don't understand when they pursue poker is that like the freedom outside you have, but when you're playing the games, you don't actually have that much freedom. Like your job is to make precise and good decisions over and over and over and over again, which means that like you don't get to just like freelance and do something because you want to, because yeah. then you're a losing poker player and you don't get to realize, uh, you know, your pursuit or your dream. And that's just kind of like an interesting thing about poker is like, yeah, we can be dis undisciplined outside of the game, but when you get in the game, you have to be disciplined. There's no other mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So what, what would you say is like a common assumption folks make about their poker careers that you think they ought to spend some more time thinking about? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's hard for me to speak for everyone, but I remember when I was like first becoming a winning player, I had like this very linear thing that I showed my parents. I was like, well, you see, here's how I'm playing $2, $4, I guess. I'm like, and here's how in six months I'll be playing 2000, 4000. <laughs> <laughs> and um, very obviously now, it doesn't work like that. But I mean, I just, I just know so many people either very, very well myself or just through friends where they may be like slight winning players at something like two, three, two, five, maybe even five, 10 live. And they're like, well, I won 30,000 this month playing two, three. Well, I, I think you and I both know that you're probably not going to be winning 30,000 a month playing two, three, but a month seems like a long time. And for some people that kind of run can last three, four, five, six months, even where they're doing insanely well. And you kind of just expect that to, at the very least, go on forever at the stakes that you're playing. But in a lot of cases, they kind of just expect to move up linearly to whatever the highest stakes game in the, the card room or region may be. And um, they, they kind of spend money along the way. And all of a sudden, like that little, like one month downswing comes along after three, four, five months of running hotter than the sun. And it seems like they should have like a staggering amount of money for the game they're playing. And yet there's nothing. And then all of a sudden they're back at square one again, but they're kind of a little more fucked up in the head just because that's what poker is going to do to you. And uh, it just becomes a, a, a circle jerk that they, they pull themselves through where they never really accomplish anything yeah. and, and exit poker sooner than maybe they should have. It's um, getting to like the top 97th percentile in poker, I think mm -hmm. is not super difficult. 
uh, like an online cache. I think it's not mm-hmm. all that difficult to get there, but like the journey from 97 to 98 is like exponentially harder. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cause that 1% that you're trying to overcome have like decades of experience and are like, I mean, they have decades of living. experience They they, depending on the stakes, probably have access to software that flat out we just don't, or at the very least, I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a lot of great tools out there, but there's even greater ones that aren't readily available. Yes. And there's a reason they're not re- readily available, right? Because yes. they're so good and so they, valuable. They, I mean, exactly, exactly. The The guy that invented PO is probably very, very happy to have made, I guess, either, like, I think the most expensive one is 1000 or something. So 500 to 1000 per unit. But there's other ones that are, I mean, there's no price that you can put on them, honestly. I agree. And we were talking about this in like the pre-interview about like, you know, my courses and like just how when something comes out that you think might give you an edge and you're like in the top 97th percentile and you're playing like two five live, like you should spend every, every chance you get to spend $400 on a poker training tool. You should just do it because if, if you're going to use it at all, it's going to be worth it. Right. Like, I think about it like this. I could buy 10 courses or 10 things that cost me 4K. And if one of them pans out, it it's worth, you know, the ROI is yes. like 10X. Like, I just need Absolutely. one of them to work. So, yeah, it's 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 pot odds. Like like we were saying before, you know, in the pre-interview. It's just a pot odds deal where like, yeah, mm-hmm. you're, call, you're calling 400 to potentially win like 50K. You you need to call pretty often. <laughs> you you exactly, get to call pretty exactly. often. I mean, truth be told, even if somehow you learn absolutely nothing from something you purchase, just viewing it and seeing that other people who probably may not have been uh, introduced to those concepts are using it, like you can kind of skew your strategy slightly to be like, people are going to be doing this more often right now, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and I think there's other something else that's kind of in play here, which is not super intuitive. It's like if you're the type of person that doesn't want to invest in any sort of training or anything, I think that your chances of long-term success in poker are not super high. Like that's just sort uh, of a mindset that you got to get out of. I, I truthfully don't know many people that haven't spent quite a bit, so I, I just by the people that are surviving in poker that I know well that are thriving, 100%, I agree. Um, uh, the people that I know that don't use any sort of software or study any sort of data, mostly smaller stakes players, mostly live players. Um, I mean, it's hard. It it's is. Hard. It's really hard. And how many, how many, how many like upper echelon nosebleed players out there? don't have something like that going that's helping them learn and study and grow. They all exactly. have something, exactly. you know, it was kind of like I asked Elliot Rowe in a very early podcast episode, like there's this thing that happens as it relates to like new parents and baby books where people who buy baby books are far and away raise more well-adjusted children just like over time. And the mm-hmm. question is like, is it because of the baby book or is it because they're the type of person that mm-hmm. buys the baby book in the first place? Right. And like with Elliot, you know, his clients have made something like stupid, a hundred million plus in winnings or, or in caches in poker. And it, and it was like, are you the catalyst or is it because like a Fedor Holtz is going to reach out to you because Fedor is going to try to find any edge that he possibly can. So like he's the type of person 
who wants to be successful and is willing to do whatever it takes. And I think that like, it's kind of a mix, right? Like Elliot is great at what he does and I'm sure he provides tons of value, but it's not all Elliot. It's a caliber of person that seeks him out and is willing to pay him a thousand dollars a session. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I I think there can be no doubt that it's a, a mixture of the two. And I think you need both in order to succeed. Yeah, you really do. So what's a purchase that you've made? We'll segue right into this question. A purchase you've made that's been impactful to your poker game in the last few years. In the last few years, I mean, I, I bought PO roughly when it came out, but uh, I bought a Jay Nandez course for PLO on, um, I guess it was, what's, I don't even know what Doug Polk's thing is called. Upswing. <laughs> yeah, on Upswing. Yeah. That's, I think that's the only Upswing course that I've bought. And I mean, obviously it's been a while since I know that he and Jay Nandez have, uh, have split some years ago. But um, the funny thing is for the actual games I play, I think it's almost worthless because it, it mostly deals with like online six max heads up pots. Like it's dealing with games that literally don't exist like in my universe. I've never seen a PLO game that even closely approaches the way that uh, his guides would suggest. But that doesn't mean that there's nothing to learn from them. Occasionally a pot will make itself heads up and the, the ranges will be somewhat defined in a way that kind of makes sense. But uh, even so, like it, it, will, it will teach you why certain things that you're doing may make sense. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, but it, nonetheless, despite not really being terribly applicable to the games that I play most often, there's still a lot to be learned about PLO itself from the course. And uh, PLO especially, it's kind of confusing for a person that's mostly used to either hold them or low ball, where you can like in hold them, you can visualize very easily what X percent of a range looks like in low ball. Like you can very easily visualize like, what the ranges are going to look like on the river and like the entire like range of hands that their one or two card draw will produce. Whereas in PLO, like the, the difference between a certain percent, like is going to often be like how a hand is suited and the hands that look very similar are not similar at all. You, you can find yourself in a situation where you might be wanting to play like 15% of your hands, but if you're just kind of winging it and guessing you're playing more like 40% of your hands. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a very, very good demonstrator of uh, what ranges look like at the very least. Certainly, I didn't need a $1,000 course to figure that out, but it, that is in there. And I mean, occasionally I do play larger, tougher games or, uh, you know, in, in the mixed games, we'll play PLO with a cap or something like that, where it's, it's much more applicable. I mean, it's a dime, you know, or it was a dime. Like, it's very hard to not make a dime. Oh, it was, it was, it was worth every cent, even though... Maybe six times I've played in a game where I was like, yeah, we finally <laughs> we learned, yeah. But I mean, at the very least, it, it increased my poker IQ, and it's something that I can study forever. I still own it, so yeah, very, very worthwhile to me at least. And you, you mentioned Melissa Burr earlier, too, and when she came on the show, she said something that was, it was very, very, very intelligent. Uh, well, she said many somethings, but one thing specifically that stuck in my brain was she you know, whenever she's got like a live one in her mix game, that's just like going insane and doing all kind of weird stuff that are like obviously losing money and bad. Occasionally they will do something that's like outside of the box where she's like, whoa, that was cool. Like I've never, I've never seen that happen before. And so like, if you could learn something from somebody that's playing atrociously and is a big loser, then like you're going to learn stuff from the people that actually know what they're doing as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a little bit like too much hive mind think 
as far as uh, professional poker players go, which I think that's kind of going to happen as more and more software comes out and people kind of converge to a similar strategy. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn quite a bit from almost anyone. Absolutely. If you're, if you're open to it, then you will. And I think that this is a game where you've got to be open to the possibility that everything might be better than what you're currently doing because it might. Mm -hmm. And like, that's how you find edges is like going against the hive mind in spots that you're very confident are going to perform better than the hive. Absolutely. Um, what's a poker related thing that you've heard folks rave about that just splatted for you? Poker related thing that just splatted for me. I mean, do, do tournaments count? Um, <laughs> that's actually um, like that's like related, poker, I mean, Sean. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, I don't really stay that much in touch with really what's going on in poker. Once it kind of like once it kind of gets like negative or confusing to me, I just block it or tune it out and and wait for poker Twitter to move on to its next thing. So I'm sure there have been things over the years, but nothing really sticks out to be honest. No veganism journeys. No meditation. Oh, yoga no oh the i mean the i was never part of the choice center cult but that, that one's definitely a swing and a miss for me i don't i don't want to join any cults well oh, no you're not in the choice center cult are you no the qualification was oh the, thank goodness that, i guess other people raved about it but it didn't work for you so the assumption is that you yeah. went through choice it's, center. Uh, yeah i was gonna say like I, i've never really like gotten into like too much of the poker scene and the things that they're all about so no, not really. I've I've never never succumbed to too, nothing too terribly. Does the Choice Center still exist? I honestly have no idea. It's just like I said, I, they just they stop existing to me after a while with people babbling about it. I, 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 <laughs> wow, my dog's really mad that the Amazon man is here. Yeah, Choice Center. He heard you talking. He's like, yeah, no. he's like, no cults for you, buddy. I need my. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the Choice Center was a really big thing for a little while and then I haven't heard anything about it for like years and years. I just, yeah, it's, it's been years for me as well. I, I would guess that poker people have kind of quieted down about it, but it's probably still doing its thing. Would be my assumption. They're just incognito choice center people skulking about. What are some things you wish you had said, uh, no to more often? Which said I said no to more often. Yeah. Oh, uh, just in general, I have a horrible habit of saying yes, but drinking drugs, you I do. really wish you had said no to drinking and drugs? Honestly, yes. I really <laughs> do. Yeah. I just I, I let drugs I actually don't let get out of control. Thank goodness. Um I'm I'm I, I do, do them occasionally. It's probably been eighteen months now, so obviously not a big part of my life, but drinking I'm just the worst in the world at saying no to. Even if like like I drank last night with no intention of drinking and I, I had planned to kind of study our, our previous interview. And that didn't work out quite the way expectations yeah. uh, were, were going. So this uh, it, it does interfere with my life. I guess I, I don't know if that's what makes you an alcoholic. I can't. I, th I think it does, Sean. I think yeah, I, I think that's probably one of the first things on the list. <laughs> yeah, I think if there's uh, yeah, five boxes, saying no to drinking is definitely my weak point. Yeah, if there's five boxes. I think you just checked at least four of them. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, uh, saying no to loaning money was something that I was terrible at. These days, I'm, I'm much better at, at sorting it out. And in addition to costing myself less money, it feels good not giving money to people who can't afford to pay me back and putting them in an even worse spot. Like uh, it, people, people don't really realize like enabling someone is not going to help them. You're doing them a much bigger favor by not giving them the money. So it's, it's been good for me and it's been good for a lot of other people who I protected from themselves. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's that's like a young person who has too much money kind of mistake. It's like you feel like, yeah, your your friends are struggling. Like, yeah, I can help yeah. you out. Like, it's, it's no big deal. And, when I was younger, it was definitely a double-edged sword. I was just bad at saying no anyways. And, I mean, I, I don't like admitting it, but definitely I was more predatory. I think almost everyone in poker was more predatory back then. And I just kind of figured that so much of the money that I loaned was a free roll. I didn't really care if they could pay me back. And now I do care if they can pay me back. And I just, I don't want to make someone's life worse by loaning them money to lose that they can't afford. Yeah. Like I had a roommate when I was 22 years old and I loaned him like a grand. Mm -hmm. It was like, I gave him a grand. Um, I basically paid the rent for a number of months by myself and probably five to 10 years later, he like brought it up to me like, Hey man, I am, I'm going to pay you back. Like, and I had forgotten about it, but mm -hmm. what you just said resonates with me so well, because like, obviously he hadn't, you know, it's like a thing that like is causing him anxiety and grief. Yeah. it's like, I got to get this taken care of. I got to do it. And like, man, it's not worth it. You know? Yeah. Like, for you, it was out of sight, out of mind. And for him, it was just, it was something that was negatively impacting his life and probably your guys' friendship to some degree without you even realizing it. Yeah, like every, anytime he thinks about me, that's probably one of the things. It's like, oh, I owe Brad money. Like, and it's yeah. like, man, like, just let it go. I think that's sort of my policy now is like, instead of loaning people something, just give it to them and move on if you're going to yeah. do something. I, I used to let the money that people owed me weigh really, really heavily on me. These days, I, I don't think about it at all. I'm a big boy. I make my decisions and I... I try to loan responsibly for both myself and the people I'm loaning to. And there's still been some that went bad, but that's just, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. You've matured. You're getting older, yeah. Sean. That's I know. I, I hate to admit it, but it's, it's been happening for a long time. Yes. The mirror shows me that I am in fact getting older and I yeah. don't, don't enjoy it, but <laughs> I do. What are some things you, that you wish you said yes to more often? Um, just going on trips. I would like to travel more. I'm very, very lazy. I'm very stubborn and I get stuck in my ways, but it's really rare that I go somewhere that I haven't been before and that I don't have a, a pretty good experience. And uh, saying yes to a few things has kind of been life-changing for me. So I just, I kind of wonder what would happen if I said yes even more often than I do. Well, based on your tournament results and us talking about it on the podcast, you might get invited to go some pretty nice places <laughs> directly yeah. after. The, the problem is that for some reason, despite my tournament results, people believe that I'm going to win in cash games. So <laughs> I do have the fortune of playing in good games, but people definitely aren't knocking down my doors. Uh, yeah. I mean, tournaments are, tournaments are overrated, I think. But yeah. you would like to hit, you know, one out of every hundred that you play in or something. Uh, I would like to hit one out of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> one out of all the ones. However many it's been, one of them will do. Have you ever strongly believed something about your poker career only to change your mind later on? And if so, what led to yeah. that change? Uh, I mean, like we talked about earlier, I thought Phil Ivey was the coolest. And I'm like, I'm going to play in fucking Bobby's room, 4,000, 8,000. I'll be the best at all the games for all the money. I think uh, it was like Puggy Pearson. His quote was like, play any, any man from any land, any game they can name, any amount they can count. I wanted to play as big as I could all the time. That has almost no interest to me now. Um, I mostly just, I like playing with people that are 
nice, social. I don't really care if they're good or not. Um, I, I kind of believe that I'm going to win regardless. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm happier now playing 5'5 five, five and 5'10. Despite, I could afford to play 2,000, 4,000. Like, most likely, it, as long as I'm playing in games where I have the best of it, like, a downswing couldn't bust me, realistically. But I just have, like, there's no reason for me to introduce that stress into my life, edge or no edge. Short of guaranteeing me that I'm going to win, I have no interest in playing very high stakes anymore. Well, you just got to double your cachet and then, then you know, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> just have infinite money and then you can just play whatever you want and it yeah. doesn't really matter. I mean, to me, my, my like poker retirement dream, I would still play like 5-5 five, five to ten twenty, just various big bet games with people that I like. Yes, that's my dream too is yeah. – like have all my courses out there and it just be doing its thing. And for the listener, this is a reality that's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to require anybody that seeks me out for private coaching to do all of my courses before private coaching begins. And once I have all those mechanisms in place and everything made the way I want it to be made, then it's like, cool. I get to do the podcast, which I love doing. Mm -hmm. um, I get to do some private coaching sessions with my favorite people that I enjoy working with, which is like always great. And then I get to play poker and like, that's kind of my life. And yeah. that's a life that like, I, I, I want to be able to live, um, travel and be like, yeah, I've got a business and it makes money and I'm playing poker for fun and I'm still making an impact. I think like that's what I'm working towards. And ultimately that would be the lifestyle that I think would give me the most fulfillment. Yep. I think that. Anyone that's been playing poker for a long time, there, there's parts of it that they enjoy that they have trouble leaving behind. And I, I could never really quit, quit. I got to play a little bit. So there's still very fun aspects to it. I think, I, I mean, I've told myself the lie that like, ah, I don't want to do this anymore. It's, it's just, it's not doing it for me like it used to. But if I ever take like six months off or something like that, and this, this specifically happened. I, I took like six months off um, trying to like find myself. I don't know what I was doing, but basically try, <laughs> trying to do something be, besides poker, which of course like yeah. ne never, ever works. But we went on vacation to this little town near us called uh, Helen, Georgia. It's like this little German town in the middle of the mountains. And it was me, my wife, and my wife's brother, so my brother-in-law. And poker was on TV and like, he's interested in it. And he was like asking questions. And like, it, it was like, I realized like, I love this game. I mean, it was like, I know what these guys are going to do before they do it. Like I'm telling him like, okay, he's going to bet the size. This is the action he's going to take. And it was like, it, it just like fell right back into it. And I think that like trying to tell myself the story that I don't need poker is kind of a lie and I'm not being honest yeah. with myself because like I do enjoy it. I enjoy the strategic aspect. I've really missed playing live poker over the past year. Like just the money doesn't matter so much. It's just seeing people interacting with people. It's fun to me. And I feel most True. at home when I walk into a poker room, like that's where I feel very comfortable. Like it's my place. I mean, every time I'm single and people are like, Oh, why don't you sign up for so-and-so dating? I cannot interact with people outside of a gambling or poker setting for the life of me. Like I just can't relate to them. I have like, they're like, they're from, from, from another planet really. Whereas anyone in a casino, like can I really interact with a blackjack or a baccarat player that well? No, but I can still like sympathize with them just because I've seen like the way that they are in a poker game as well. So 
I just, they're, they're my people for better or worse. The casino people and poker people, especially are my people. Yeah. A friend of mine just recently was buying some video cards to do some like crypto mining and mm-hmm. he sends me a text and he plays poker, but he's not like a poker professional. Um, he's got like a stable career outside of poker mm-hmm. and all that. And he's like, Hey man, I'm meeting up with this person and it's like a cash transaction. I've got like $20,000 in cash on me. You want to go and like, you know, just kind of make sure that be everything your backup, yeah, be, yeah. be the backup. I'm the muscle, um, in this situation, but he's like anybody else. I know that they would just feel weird about doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't feel weird. This is like, yeah. <laughs> whatever you got 20 yeah, I mean, K. Yeah, let, sure. Let's go. Like I, I, I flew <laughs> back and forth to commerce with like 60 K in my backpack everywhere I went. So, yeah, you know, it just is kind of normal, but I think to most people, that's probably not a normal. Oh, terrifying. Situation. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Well, man, I think I've ran out of questions. We we've gone through Already. all the questions. That was fast. Yeah, it's, we did it then. Yeah, we succeeded. It's, it's over winners. an hour. We are winners. We were winners before <laughs> we started. To to close up shop here, what's a project you're working on that's near and dear to your heart? A project I'm working on that's near and dear to my heart. I, I guess lately I've just been sinking as much money as I can into uh, repairing my house, making it feel a little more mine it's been exhausting it's been expensive but uh, it seems like i'm going to be here for a while and at the very least even if i move out i'll be renting it as opposed to selling it so it's it's fun to do it occupies my time so despite the stress that it adds to my life at times it's it's something that is very important to me and i'm really looking forward to doing the next thing and maybe getting it done one day wow you're such an adult, Sean. You're, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> your project is working on your house. That's it, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing really financial going on, just boring poker stuff. Hoping, hoping crypto doesn't hit zero, I guess. But that, I, I hope the same. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do hope the same. I think the whole poker economy probably hopes the same as well. Yeah, as far as financial projects go, nothing really. Just hope, hope stocks go up forever. Hope the housing market goes up forever. Hope crypto goes up forever, but I mean, it's, it's all out of my control really. So just sit there and hope, have fun in poker and focus on the rest of my life. Sounds like a pretty good life, to be honest with you. Um, it is. It's not, not a shabby one. And the, we'll close up shop here by asking where the Chasing Poker Greatness audience can find you on the World Wide Web. Yes, I believe I am at Sean Snyder Poker on Twitter. And that's it. That's the end of it. There's no Instagram. <laughs> I don't even know what a TikTok is. You can friend me on Facebook, but I never go on there anymore. So at Sean Snyder Poker on Twitter is, is where you will find me. Where's all the, the tweets of all the good stories? They were like, it was, that was like a two-week stretch where I was I like, know, yeah, I, was, I, I get to read these. I was on quite these. the run. It's really funny. When I look at my tweets and I like see the likes, I don't, I don't tweet to get the likes. I just tweet whatever the hell I'm thinking. Like I already know before I tweet something whether it's going to get like zero to three likes or like <laughs> 50 like there's a very clear distinction on what kind of tweets are going to get what kind of response. And the poker ones, <laughs> like from uh, earlier in the pandemic, were the ones that uh, are the ones that get uh, the response. And the, the reality is, I just don't play that many interesting hands. I use up all the clever ones from decades past. Occasionally there will be a hand, but you know, when you're playing nine or 10 handed poker and seeing six, seven handed flops, like, it's going to be someone had the nuts and someone had the obvious draw and then someone wins and nobody cares who had which hand. So they're, they're hard to get. They're hard to get. Last week, I was fortunate to play in a, actually in a casino, not even a home game. 
I tweeted about the the five five game where we got off a full orbit of eight eight blinds, so a three hundred twenty dollars straddle. Which Jesus. Was, yeah, five five ten twenty forty. 80, 160, 320. Yep, all eight, all eight of us had a blind posted. So it's kind of fun, kind of unique, but that, that that kind of thing is obviously few and far between. And kind of boring too. It's like yeah, there wasn't that much. <laughs> it's you know, it's cool to see, obviously. Like in a, in a casino where the biggest game other than ours is like a two three, all of a sudden we're posting three hundred and twenty dollar blinds. Sean, do you think it's advantageous for you to be playing like five big blind poker? I, I, I don't know that I like your side. And, uh, you know, I was running really good in the session. I must have had five, five and a half big blinds. I was very deep stacked. I was very, yeah. Yeah. In your wheelhouse, deep stacked, yeah. five but, and a half mean, big blinds. It, it speaks more to like that the, the game was a group of people there to have fun rather than that we were actually playing like a $300 big blind game because it, it, was, it was just more like a regular 510 game, but very fun group. And, yeah, that's what you want. Eight, exactly. eight, exactly. eight big blind straddles. It's more or less my dream game. Uh, it's a group of guys that I enjoy playing a lot with. Awesome, man. Well, best of luck hitting the live streets very soon and, you know, doing your home repairs, which is that now, now this is how I imagine you forever after this conversation. I just like sitting at home hammering away on the. <laughs> yeah. You've got like the construction hat yeah. and like the the flashlight and you just got a hammer just boom boom yeah. boom the, the actual reality is me sitting in bed watching netflix while someone else is doing that. <laughs> uh, all right man take care have a good rest of your day thank you you too thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness you can subscribe on apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.